0: We can roll tape according to his promise we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells therefore beloved since you look for these things be diligent to be found by him in peace spotless and blameless and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we are here for the purpose of growth let's turn in the word of God to Matthew chapter 11 Matthew chapter 11 you may also turn to Luke chapter 7 and we'll do some back and forth this morning Between Matthew 11 and Luke 7, preparation for our study of God's Word, let's take time for silent prayer to make certain that you're in fellowship, first of all, but then secondly that you are humble and receptive to the authority of the Word as He brings it forth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for the truth of your word and thankful for your abundant life blessings. Father, rejoicing over your faithfulness. We've uh, been celebrating a little bit this morning how faithful you are in uh, ministering your word here through this lampstand. And we thank you for the privilege and blessing of being your instruments, your tools. We know you don't need us, Father. We recognize that you can teach Bible class through uh, through a donkey. And uh, Father, it's just... Uh, a real blessing that uh, you call us by your grace and choose to utilize us as your fellow workers. So we do thank you for such privilege. We pray for diligence and humility in the ongoing ministry. And thank you this morning for the living and abiding word of God. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen. All right. Basic CDs. That's what we were celebrating this morning. We're thankful for those. and. Uh, As many copies as we can get, as quickly as we can get, we will uh, get those into your hands. CDs that will have all 68 lessons on one disc. They will also have um, all the uh, printed notes in both a Word document, if you want to use a Word document or a PDF document. I prefer PDF because then you can just have it on your screen, print it off, look at it, read it, uh, and so forth. And you can't change it. You can't mess something up or delete it. They're unchangeable in that way the word document though if you want to make changes if you want to edit it and reprint it and fix all the faulty theology and so forth then go ahead and open the open the word document and then make it all right and everything and put your own name on it and print it off yourself so we have word documents pdf documents also Lib- libronix documents to uh take the basic doctrinal studies and put them into your Logos Bible software and I'll demonstrate that I won't do that this morning but I will demonstrate that this evening and uh encourage folks who have the Logos Bible software to save that uh, file and uh, make it a part of their software installation. All right. This morning we're dealing with the encouragement to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, a passage that I believe is uh, uh, not taught correctly or thoroughly when people look at it and, and basically just say, well, John got he had a weak moment or he got kind of pathetic and he got kind of discouraged and and so you know Jesus needed to encourage him and and you know there are accurate teachings for what do you do when a believer is discouraged and how do you come alongside and how do you encourage him and how do you use the word and clearly you you can you can teach that in this passage but I think it's a mistake to do so I'd rather teach that in other passages where uh, clearly the discouragement is there and uh where you can make that case. I think this case is not one of discouragement. You don't have the word discouragement in this text, although generally it's taught that way. I think this is a statement of great faith. And I'm going to take one side trip this morning. And to do that, I'm going to go to the Gospel of Luke and look at chapters 1 and 2. And I'm just going to remind everyone how we taught these two particular questions as they were asked. And in Luke chapter one, Luke chapter one, yeah, Luke chapter one, this is a side trip before we get to our main study. In Luke chapter one, Gabriel comes here and he has a great big announcement for Zacharias about how a baby's on the way. And of course, Zacharias is old and Elizabeth's pretty old and they've been praying for a baby, but you start to wonder, did he really expect that prayer to get answered? Because he's rather skeptical here at this time. And uh, because he asks the question that he asks, and because when he asks that question, he's asking it with skepticism or doubt or lack of faith, uh, Zacharias is placed under divine discipline. And so in Luke 1.18, there's a question that says, Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this? How will I know this? And the New American Standard translators put the words for certain in there to kind of amplify the skepticism. How will I know this for certain? How will I know this? For I am an old man and my wife has advanced in years. And we recognize that given his explanation here that he is doubting. He's not really sure how this is going to take place. And the angel Gabriel or the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Just who do you think you're speaking to? No. <laughs> he says, I am Gabriel. This isn't my message. This is coming from the Lord. And your doubt... It's a lack of faith. So, behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So, this is not some obscure interpretation. or the You're not taking the pastor's word for it that Zacharias had a lack of faith. The text itself tells us, you did not believe. So, there's a faith issue there, and Zacharias fell short. Now, same chapter... Same angel, different person, this time Mary, the the young virgin here, the girl that gets the word that she's going to be the mother of the humanity of Jesus, and she gets this word. Now she has a question. And she says, how can this be? She says, looking at verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Now that's not the same as to ask, how will I know this? She says how can this be? In other words, I know this, I know this is going to happen, I just don't know how. She's not doubting the promise, but she's curious as to the way it's going to be, the way it's going to happen. How can this be seeing or since knowing that I am a virgin? So how can this be? She's not doubting that it's going to happen, she just wants to know how is it going to happen? Do you see the big difference there? Zechariah said, how do I know this is going to happen in the first place? How do I know this is going to happen? I'm old. She's old. Mary says, not how is this going to happen, or I don't think it's going to happen. She says, I know it's going to happen, but tell me how it's going to happen, because I'm a virgin, and as I understand it, virgins can't be pregnant. See? It's a huge difference. So now, in Matthew 11... When the Baptist asks him, Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? It's legitimate for us to examine that question and say, All right, is this a Zacharias kind of question or a Mary kind of question? Is this a question where he has no faith, where he's skeptical that it's going to happen, or where he doesn't where he's he's weak in faith and so forth, in which case he needs to be rebuked and he has to have his lack of faith demonstrated? Or is this a Mary question? Where he continues to have faith, he knows the promises of God, he knows they're going to be fulfilled, and he's trying to learn how it's going to come about. He's not doubting that it will come about. He's trying to learn how it will come about. So is it a Zacharias question or a Mary question? If I can use the the two contrasting questions from Luke 1 as, as examples. All right, I believe that... Typically, when this chapter gets taught, most pastors take this as a Zacharias question. They take this as, well, he's, he's growing weak in faith, he's discouraged, he's in prison, and, and things aren't working out, and he's starting to second guess himself. And, and they basically, they read all of that into this. And I don't think there's a need to do that. I don't think we have to take this as a Zacharias question. I think it's more natural to take it as a Mary question. And the surrounding context of both the Matthew 11 and Luke 7 accounts, I think, makes that clear. The Lord does not rebuke him for his lack of faith. He does say, blessed is the one who uh, does not take offense at me. In verse 6, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. But that is not a rebuke of Zacharias or not a rebuke of John in saying that you have already stumbled and you don't have any faith. It's not what it says. Okay? I believe it's it's a statement of of happiness for the reality of where John presently is. He is not stumbling, and because of that, he's happy, even though he's in jail and even though he's about to lose his head. He still is Makarios happy because he is not stumbling. He is not um, stumbling over the first advent ministry of Jesus Christ. So, we will deal with that now let me get our slideshow up and running here wanted the bible software for one reason and we'll get to that later maybe we may not get to it this week Uh, slideshow there we go Jesus encourages John the Baptist episode 20 under point one we examine the parallel accounts and so hopefully you have those down under a b and c to demonstrate that they're parallel when they start, they're parallel when they end, but in the midst of each section there is a portion that's unique. So if you look at Matthew 11:2 through 19, you realize that there's a little portion of that in verses 12 through 15 that isn't found in Luke. Likewise, when you look at Luke 7:18 through 35, it matches Matthew except for those two verses verse twenty nine and verse thirty, so we gave this to you last week, and hopefully you have it down they they start off the same with the Baptist sending a message, are you the one or should we expect someone else? They end the same, they end with um, the um, uh, let's see here they end with uh, the the Son of man came eating and drinking, and behold a gluttonous man and a drunkard. And so forth. Yet wisdom is vindicated by our deeds. They both end with the same conclusion. But in the middle, there are uh, slight differences between the two accounts. All right. And uh, so under point B and point C, we highlight what is unique. Matthew 11, 12 through 15 is unique to Matthew. Luke 7, 29 and 30 is unique to Luke. All right. You're following all that. Does that make sense? Did I confuse things? All right. Since I haven't confused it yet, I'll take one more risk. Um, under B, where it says Matthew 11, 12-15 is unique to Matthew, put a little star by that, because it's true as far as this episode is concerned. But the content of um, verse 12, Luke does actually record that content from verse 12 elsewhere. And uh, we'll, we'll deal with that when we get to that point here this morning. So it is unique to Matthew, but just put a little star. It's unique to Matthew here in the Encouraging of John the Baptist episode. Luke doesn't record it in this episode. All right. Secondly, we observed that John the Baptist maintained a network of students. What were those students doing? Well, here's one thing we see them doing, reporting to him concerning Jesus' activities. I'm not saying that's the only thing his students did, but this is one thing that his students did. He maintained a network of students to report to him concerning Jesus' activities. And they're reporting his miracles, they're reporting his messages. And uh, it's an interesting aspect of why does John still have disciples to begin with? Why didn't he give all of them over to Jesus? We know two of them went over to Jesus, at least two of them. So why does he have any left? Why didn't he just give them all his students and then retire and become one of Jesus' disciples? (laughs) why does he still maintain his position as a teacher with disciples of his own? Okay. Under point three, we looked at John's question itself, and this is where we uh, used the bulk of our time last week and where we're going to move on from this morning. Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? And we spent some time on the five areas... Where the coming one was expected. The coming one. John the Baptist asked, Are you the coming one, or should we look for someone else? And that phrase, the coming one, is a study all on its own. What does it mean to be the coming one? And we gave you five points of study. They understood the coming one to be the prophet. The prophet from Matthew or uh, from Deuteronomy that Moses talked about from Deuteronomy 18 that a prophet was coming that God said I will raise up from among you a prophet like unto myself. He was also understood as the Christ, the son of God. The testimony there of Martha in John 11:27. He was understood as the one bringing peace and justice. I went to a uh, Hebrews reference for that, but it was a quotation from the Old Testament, so it's legitimate to be an expectation that these Jews would have had during the first Advent ministry of Jesus Christ. We also looked to John 18 and talked about the distinction between being born and coming into the world. Jesus was both. He was born in his human body, but then he came into the world as well in the sense that as the preexistent eternal God, the son, he was already in existence prior to his physical birth. The fact that he is still a coming one is very important for us, that there is a second advent still yet future. Here we are today in 2006 A.D. and yet he's still the coming one. Because, once again, He is the coming one. There's the rapture of the church coming up, and there's the second advent of Jesus Christ. So He's still the coming one. We in the church relate to our Savior in part as the coming one. And so all of this doctrine that we learned from the Gospels, it was appropriate then, but it's still appropriate now because we're anticipating the rapture. And Jesus Christ is still the coming one. And guess what? In the tribulation, He's still the coming one because after the rapture is done and we're gone for those that get saved during the tribulation there's still the second advent yet future so in the gospels we have believers that are anticipating the coming Christ they're waiting for the coming one in the church we are waiting for the coming one in the tribulation they're waiting for the coming one we have patterns that are consistent in each of these in each of these ages and so these studies from the gospel can be very particular for church age application. All right. Neat word study on prostakao, to give thought to something that is viewed as lying in the future. Um, we should be, uh, be accomplishing that as, a, as an activity. We are waiting. In other words, we are occupying, we are thinking, we are dwelling upon the things that are yet to come. It's an appropriate statement. We are the waiting ones, right? If he's the coming one, what are we? We're the waiting ones. Because he's coming and we're waiting. But the difference, there's there's lots of different ways you can wait. Right? (laughs) For instance, I've noticed, this is not a sexist comment, it's just an observation. I've noticed that typically husbands are ready to leave the house sooner than wives. Not a sexist statement, Not a, I'm not complaining, I'm just observing that the wives are trying to get the children ready and the husband's so thoughtless and brainless he didn't even think about that, So, and he doesn't have all the makeup to put on and all the other stuff to fix his hair, he doesn't care, he just, you know, makes sure he's got shoes on his feet and he's out the door, okay? But the woman's taking a little bit longer and the kids aren't ready yet and the, you know, can't find their shoes and... Anyway, so there are different kinds of waiting. Now, there's the kind of waiting where the husband is just standing there, grinding his teeth and kind of tapping his foot and saying, come on, can we go yet? It's kind of an impatient, angry kind of waiting. Okay. Then there's other kinds of waiting. You get the idea? All right. Now, when it comes to waiting for Christ, when it comes to anticipating the rapture, there are also many kinds of waiting that are accomplished by believers in different churches today. And we want to be able to relate to the prostakao form of waiting, which is that pros looking forward, dokeo, thinking. It's a thinking word. That means that we are thinking about it. We're looking for it, anticipating it, thinking about it, recognizing that it could be today, and because we're thinking about it in an imminent way, it's affecting what we're doing today. In other words, uh, imminency is a great uh, goad or prompt to godliness. Making sure that I'm in fellowship. I don't want to be out of fellowship when I hear the trumpet. Because when we're transformed in the twinkling of an eye and snatched up into the air, there's not a lot of time for confession if you're going to try to get a quick First John 1, 9 in while you're getting yanked up into the into the galaxies. Okay, there's not a lot of time for confession at that point. I don't think it's necessary anyway. We're going to be transformed in the moment our body is glorified. Then the sin nature is a thing of the past anyway. That stays, that's gone when we're transformed into glory. But still, the principle being, I don't want to be out of fellowship when the Lord returns. Blessed, you know, we want to keep our garments clean. Now, thinking about the rapture, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Waiting thinking, dwelling upon what's to come. It says, according to his promise, we are just hanging out, killing time. No, we are looking for new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. So the wrong approach to waiting is just hanging out, not doing much, just figuring, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. I can't control it. So, you know, uh, I'll just not worry about it. We should be worried about it. We should be thinking about it, anticipating it, considering it, putting thought towards it. That's the ap- a- application of prostakao. And then uh, the distinction between heteros and loss is not that big a deal. You can look at Galatians 1, 6, and 7 and find that they are interchangeable. So I don't get worked up about the fact that Matthew uses heteros, Luke uses loss. It's the same aspect when John's asking, are you the expected one or should we look for another? Is there another expected one coming? Is there another coming one on the way? Is there a second Christ? That's the question. And that's what we're going to examine. So, let's look at it one more time now. Matthew 11 and verse 3. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, John's disciples, and said to him, said to Christ, Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Shall we look for expected one number two? (laughs) All right? Are you the expected one and only, or is there another one that we should expect? That's his question. And it's legitimate. Under point four, I tell you that this is legitimate. It's easy for us in the 21st century to look back at John and say, what are you, nuts? (laughs) Of course there's only one Christ. How stupid are you? Okay, wait a minute. That's our hindsight looking back at John and unfairly recognizing that uh, or, or claiming that he should have recognized what he didn't. And I think we're going to conclude with this study that not only that he shouldn't have been able to with what he was made available to him at the time. He didn't have a New Testament. He didn't have the mystery doctrine of the church. He didn't have the recognition of a first advent and second advent like we do today. Because we can look back 2006 years and see first advent, and we, can, we know second advent hasn't happened yet, so we're in between the two. He wasn't in between the two. He had no way to know that there were two. So a legitimate consideration, the seemingly contradictory sufferings and glories... Present two potential harmonizations. In other words, if all you have, if your Bible is Genesis to Malachi, okay? This is your Bible. You don't have this part yet. You've got this part. And this part has a lot to say about your coming Christ. It's got a whole lot to say about your coming Christ. You've got 39 books with a lot of, well, 22 books if you're reading the Hebrew Bible. You've got these books of the Old Testament and they're telling you all kinds of things about the Christ. And some of the things they're talking about are sufferings. Psalm 22. They pierced my hands and my feet. And all of the, uh, the, the crucifixion that's portrayed there in Psalm 22. Isaiah 53. Not like a lamb before his shearers was silent and he went, and laid down his life and, and the things that are there. You've got the passages that talk about the suffering Christ. But then you've got passages that talk about the conquering Christ. which ones do you think were more popular? (laughs) You know, which ones preach better in the synagogue? You know, get more amens for your rabbi when he's preaching the, when he's preaching the, the conquering Christ. Absolutely. Suffering Christ. Mm. Okay. So there's, it seemed to be a disconnect. It seemed to be contradictory. How does this work? And they would ask, how does this work? Because, like we try to do today, they try to harmonize. What do all these things say? Recognizing, do they contradict? No, they don't contradict. God's not a liar. He's not, they both have to be true. We can't say this is true and that's a lie. They're both true because God is truth. So how do they harmonize? How do we blend them? How do we fit them together in a, in a synchronized way? Which led them to two conclusions. You can harmonize them one way or you can harmonize them another way. One way to harmonize them is that the same coming one is going to come twice. That's one way to harmonize them. The same coming one will come twice. Once to suffer, and once again for glory. Make sense? It ought to make sense, because that's the reality. (laughs) That's how it, it got harmonized. But we learned that after he came the first time and promised that he was coming a second time. Okay? Before he came the first time and said, I'm leaving now, but I'll be back. Before that, we didn't know that option A was the reality to harmonize. And the second way to harmonize it was a legitimate consideration at the time that there would be two coming ones. Two coming ones will come. The first coming one will be the suffering Christ. The second coming one will be the glorious Christ. Christ simply means anointed one. And so, you know, we don't get too worked up about the fact that there's more of them. We're Christ's in the sense that we're anointed, right? You receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit the moment you were saved. We have the anointing, which guides us in the truth. So we are anointed ones. Therefore, we are Christ's vocabulary speaking. Two coming ones will come. And that was a legitimate option. The first coming one would be the suffering Christ. The second coming one would be the glorious Christ. Now we know that's not the case. We know that's not the case because we have a New Testament and because we have the record in the Gospels and because Jesus was the coming one and he came and he said, I'm going away now, but I'm coming back. And when I come back, all those other prophecies, those are going to get fulfilled. Okay, So we know that now. John didn't. John didn't. And so to to look at John in Matthew 11 and say, well, what a, what a wuss, what a coward, what a weak sister, and, and so forth. Why doesn't he have more faith? I think he's got tremendous faith. And in faith, he's asking this question to get clarification on his understanding. Just like Mary was doing When the Lord said, you're going to have a baby. And she says, tell me how that's going to work because I'm a virgin. She wasn't asking that doubting. She had faith. She just wanted to know how. All right. Point five. The debate was a matter of person or time. The debate was a matter of person or time. I should have put these on the same slide. So you could see option 4B and option 4A. The debate was a matter of person, which was option 4B. Are there going to be two different people? Or time? Is it the same person coming twice at two different times? So you want to get this down in your notes. The debate was a matter of person or time. The person debate considered option 4B. The time debate considered option 4A. I'll I'll put the A and B back up there again. See, the, the question of person, with option B there, are there two coming ones? So we want to know who are these two people. It's a question of person. Or under option A, is it a matter of time? Is it the same Christ, but He's coming one time and He's coming a second time later, and so it's a matter of time? Okay, so the debate was a matter of person or time. And this is exactly what Peter wrote about in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Join me there. 1 Peter 1.10. Because this is the key in uh, putting it all together and answering why the Baptist was asking the question that he was asking. We have a uh, wonderful introduction here. Uh, about the father and about the son and how grace and peace are ours and um blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ so it's a praise of blessing offering up praise to the father for what he's done who according to his the father's great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and uh To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's our inheritance as church-age saints, being in Christ, who are protected by the power of God, as the Father, through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly uh, rejoice, even though now, in time, in the church age, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And we are. talked about this Sunday morning. If you don't have testing in your life, uh, something's wrong. Come see me after class. We'll figure out what you're doing wrong so you can start doing things right. And we'll get we'll get you under some testing here pretty shortly. So that the proof of your faith, the demonstration of your faith, which is perishable, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. This is the verse where that song comes from. Precious sings it occasionally and uh, comes out of that verse. Now, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Then verse 10, it puts it all together with what we're dealing with this morning. As to this salvation, what's this salvation? Well, everything that from verse 3 to verse 9. Talking about the church age, talking about where we are now in Christ, after the cross, but before the crown. We're now, for a little while, we're being tested, but there's a crown coming up. Okay? The fact that we're in between the two Advents. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. It was not their fault that they didn't know what was going to happen, they weren't sloppy. They weren't negligent in their duties. They made careful searches and inquiries. What do you think John the Baptist was doing when he sends his messengers to Jesus and he asks the question? He's making a careful search and an inquiry. Are you the expected one or should we expect someone else? They weren't sloppy. They weren't stupid. They weren't weak in faith. The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time... Do you see it there? Seeking to know what person or time. That's why we have these two debates. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So they've got two pictures of the Christ, a suffering Christ and a glorious Christ. The sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. They've got these two pictures, and they want to know what person or time. Is it a person debate? Is it a time debate? What is it? They wanted to know. And so John the Baptist sends the delegation. He says, I can get this answered. <laughs> I know who to ask. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Christ, the Son of God. Say, go find out. Is it a person debate? Is it a time debate? What's the answer? Okay? It's a time debate. Same person. Two different times. Don't stumble. Okay? So that's the debate. That's the debate. And that helps us to recognize the uh, question that John asks here is not an immature question. It's not uh, a lack of faith in anything. It's a very strong faith who says, I know these promises are going to be fulfilled. Just tell me how they're going to be fulfilled. Is it the same person two different times? Or are you doing this part of it and someone else is coming to do the other part of it? So, back to Matthew 11 now. He heard the works of Christ sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense, or blessed is he who does not stumble over me. Now, in his response, in his response, the answer that he gets—I was trying to see if I put the—I did not. The Lord cites from the uh, Book of Isaiah from the Old Testament, and he puts John in remembrance of the Scriptures. So let's go ahead and look at it. I wanted to put these in a slideshow, and I. Overlook doing that. My apologies. Let's take a look at it. Because the answer that he gives him, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. All right. And as that answers his question, is Jesus answering his question? Yes and no. Okay. Jesus doesn't give him a direct answer to say yes. I'm the expected one. Don't expect anyone else. I'm coming back a second time. He doesn't say that explicitly. What he does is he quotes the scriptures that for John the Baptist are going to put it all together for him. So that John can answer the question for himself. With the selection of scriptures that Jesus gives him here. Now, I'm going to go ahead and put this up side by side. From Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 5. But even prior to verse 5, a a larger context of uh, Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. The Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, will they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Okay? Sharon was a plain. It was a geographical area. That's not my wife. All right. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come Okay, so right now, before I go any further, what's the context for this? Is this a first Advent or second Advent passage? This is a second Advent passage. Yeah, this is looking ahead to the millennium. This is looking ahead to environmental blessings, to a restored earth, to the to the downfall of the nations, to the peace of Jerusalem, to all the glorious things that are going to take place when the king returns, particularly there with the vengeance and recompense. That's second Advent. That's... Power and great glory. Alright? That's marching forth, uh, waging war with a robe dipped in blood with a sword and all of that. Alright? It's not first advent. And Jesus specifically does not cite those early verses. He goes straight to verse 5. Why does He go straight to verse 5? Because that's what was being fulfilled in His day. Okay? Okay? The Isaiah 35 passage contains the prophetic shift we've talked about in times past because it's a Isaiah 35 points ahead to two Advents. But there's no way to know that until one Advent is fulfilled and the remainder is left for a yet future completion. Okay? We've had this several times. Isaiah 61, we've had this. Where the Lord read a couple of verses. Read, actually read one and a third verse and stopped in the midst of the first part of verse 2 and said, today this has been fulfilled. And he didn't read the rest of verse 2. He didn't read verses 3 and following because that was 2nd Advent. Now, Isaiah 61, the two Advents are there and they're there in order. 1st Advent, 2nd Advent. In this passage, both Advents are there, but they're kind of backwards. You've got 2nd Advent and then you've got 1st Advent. So, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. And it goes on now. um, The highway that's mentioned there in Isaiah 35. The ransom of the Lord will return, come to Zion. So, Chapter 35 ends with just these 10 verses, mainly second advent, mainly second advent. But we have these aspects, particularly blind and deaf and lame and mute. Okay. What does he cite? The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Lepers, lepers aren't mentioned in Isaiah. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf here, that's there. The dead are raised up. That's not mentioned in Isaiah. Uh, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And there's another citation there. When he goes through these Old Testament quotations, we want to find those quotations, Isaiah 61.1. I'm going to go side by side though, so let me do it this way. There we go. That way I can leave that window on the right. I can leave it right there. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. This is Isaiah 61. We've taught this already. To bring good news to the afflicted. What is that? When you bring good news, what are you doing? You can answer. It's okay. Out loud. You're proclaiming the gospel. Yeah. Gospel is good news. Ewangalia is good news. A good announcement. Good news. It's a synonymous term. To bring good news to the afflicted means... Preaching the gospel. As he says there, the poor have the gospel preached to them. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners and so forth. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's where Jesus stopped. He didn't read the rest of verse 2, the day of vengeance of our God. Why? Vengeance is second advent. Okay? So by answering the Baptist the way that he's answering the Baptist here, When he says, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? And he cites these events. He cites blind, uh, lepers, lame, deaf, dead. Remember, this follows that first resurrection where he brought the widow's son back. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. He's making it very clear that he's here to fulfill all the first Advent prophecies. The other ones, he hasn't said a word about vengeance. He hasn't said a word about throwing off the Gentiles. Hasn't said anything about the wilderness being made a a garden. Hasn't said anything about the environmental restoration. Has said nothing about all those second advent things. He's making it clear that the question is a matter of time, not person. And that these other matters will be left for the second advent. As it says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Why would that be offensive? Why would that be offensive? If you've been waiting all this time for Rome to be cast down, if you've been waiting all this time for Israel to be lifted up, for the kingdom to come, this could be a disappointment. You mean you're going to do the suffering thing now and you'll come back later? Well, how long is that going to be? Because we, we, we want the kingdom now. Judas, one of the kingdom now. Simon, one of the kingdom now. Even Peter and, and the other apostles, they one of the kingdom now. And even in Acts chapter 1, you say, you're only allowed one side trip per class, Pastor. You've had one already. This is the second one. Well, I didn't use one last Sunday, so you owe me one. Acts chapter 1, <laughs> and the disciples now, <sighs> breathe a big sigh of relief. they go okay lord you put us through a lot we watched you go to the cross we saw you die we had a horrible weekend uh but then you rose again on the on the third day on that sunday and we we didn't believe it at first especially thomas really had a hang up there but then you came and we had some meals together and you've had 40 days of teaching now and we're really we're really uh, glad that you died for our sins and we're really happy that you're raised again and we've enjoyed the last 40 days of teaching with having you here even though sometimes you scared us when we had the door locked and you just walked in anyway with the door locked Um, now you put us through all of that now can we finally get this kingdom thing going okay look what they ask him Um, gathering them together in verse 4 acts 1 4 Uh, well let's just look um Uh, where do I start? Well, oh, okay, Book of Acts. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these apostles he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. His resurrection ministry for 40 days. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for, the, for what the Father had promised, which he said, You have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, About 10 days from now. Okay, It's called Pentecost. You're going to get this 50 days after, after Passover. And uh, so they're about 10 more days away. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Okay, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) Now, okay, it's kind of like children in the back seat. Yeah, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we almost there? How much further? Okay. (laughs) And here they are. Can we get to this kingdom now? And he says to them, well, it's going to be at least 2,000 years. Okay, no, he doesn't tell them that. That would scare them to death. He just says, it is not for you to know the times or epochs by which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Okay. Let me go back. I, I stopped reading too short. I should have read one more thing there in First Peter 1, verse 10. Because they made careful searches and inquiries. Um seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. But then, I didn't read verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In other words, they, they're, they're making the, these requests and they're trying to get answers and you know what they're being told? It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. That will be made clear later. Well, how much later? Later. Okay. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced. See, because they've come out through the New Testament. Now they've been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. See, God the Father in his perfect wisdom kept mystery doctrine hidden. Hidden from human beings and hidden from angels. Because you better believe Satan would have loved to have known about this mystery age ahead of time. He would have been absolutely thrilled to know about, to have a heads up about what this age of grace was going to be all about. What it, and Satan didn't know about two Advents. He's, all he's trying to do is thwart the plan of God and prevent the Christ from fulfilling all kinds of things, first and second Advent. He doesn't. Satan doesn't know there's going to be two Advents. Those things are kept even from him. Things into which angels long to look. So there's a lot of study that goes into this and we need to, uh, recognize that when John asked his question, it was not a lack of faith. And when the Lord gave his answer, he was giving his answer in a way that John could understand through the selective, very precise Old Testament quotation, but also not answering in such a blunt and direct way that he tips off Satan as to what's about to happen. And he tips off the whole angelic conflict to the fact that, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, I've got to go to the cross, I've got to die, I'm going to wrap up First Advent, and then we're going to start the church, and the Father's going to get me a bride. And Okay? None of that. John, uh, Jesus is not going to try to give all of that to the Baptists right here, right now. He can't. It's, a lot of that's still mystery, top secret, classified, need to know. You're not there yet. Okay? Next, he turns and he looks at the crowd. So under point six, we're looking at the crowd. What are you all doing here? <laughs> As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? you going to use the opportunity. He answered those disciples. They've departed. They're going back to the, to the jail facility there, prison facility where John was, where they can relay the message back to him. And after they're gone, you've got these crowds. And the Lord's got questions for them. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? What were you doing at that time? And what are you doing now? Why are you following me? Why did you follow him when he was around? And why are you following me now? Did you just leave him because, you know, he got arrested and, you know, for for a time it was fun and games, a lot of excitement, but now you're moving on to the next deal? (laughs) Isn't that what we have today? You get flocks and flocks of believers and and they're all rushing off to this, uh, you know, this purpose-driven thing. Before that, they rushed off to the Jabez thing. Before that, they rushed off to that other thing, okay? And there's something else on the way. Actually, we're already in the post-purpose-driven uh, and post-Willow Creek era because the new emerging, uh, emerging church is supposed to be the next step. See, we've gone from seeker-friendly to purpose-driven to emerging. And there will be flocks that will rush off that way, Okay? Some guy, you know, remodels a basketball stadium and becomes a big church. Next guy will probably remodel a football stadium and make that a big church. And someone else will remodel a state capitol and make that a big church. Or who knows? As long as it's the latest and greatest, we can top whatever was done before. Okay? The Lord turns to these guys and says, what were you doing? What were you doing when you chased after him? And what are you doing now? What are you hanging around me for? It's a pretty convicting question when it comes right down to it. Because he can ask it again after they all flee, right? Where are y'all going? (laughs) And he does. They start peeling away left and right. And uh, he turns to Peter and says, are you guys taking off too? Peter says, no, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. But the crowds, this crowd, this uh, entertainment chaser, yeah, they're going to peel away. They're following the Lord for the moment. The things are going to get real cool coming up. He's going to walk on water. You know, he's bringing people back to life. He's going to multiply loaves and fishes. What a great king. You know, we don't have to work anymore. We don't have to farm our fields. We don't have to fish. We don't have to hunt. All we got to do is... He is make him our king and he can feed everybody. What a great king. He says, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) You're ignoring the message. You love the miracle, but you're ignoring the message. So when it gets pretty clear that he's not going to be feeding them over and over and over again every day like a bunch of babies, then they get all mad. Well, why aren't you going to feed us? They peel away. Eventually, gets to the point, they're demanding his death, crucify him. His blood be on us and on our children. So the, the, the features of, of popularity and, and the uh, excitement of, uh, of a pep rally kind of thing, you know. Kind of fun while it's going on, but be careful. Boy, that's a snare. It's almost like a drug. Like a high. Yeah, you know, you get this pep rally going and you got to go to the next one. Got to go to the next one. Got to go to the next one. I think that's why a lot of Pentecostals get burned out. Well, charismatics get depressed. Cuz they can't maintain their they can't maintain their pep rally excitement and, uh, and then they think well there's something wrong with me. I lost my anointing. I lost my holy spirit, and, you know, and and what's wrong with me? Maybe I lost my salvation too. And charismatics they can get very depressed. What did you go out to see? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. More than a prophet. He is a prophet, but he's something more. He's the forerunner. He's the herald. We're going to have to talk about that because he cites Malachi here. Uh, But then there's also, we've got to look at both Malachi 3, we've got to look at Isaiah chapter 40, we've got to put together some different prophetic messages to examine this forerunner, to examine why are there two forerunners when there appears to be one forerunner? Well, because we didn't know there were two advents until the first one was done, and Jesus says there's another one on the way. Oh, so there's another advent? Does that mean there's another forerunner? Yeah, that's what it means. Elijah is coming. But if you care to accept it, John is Elijah. He is the Elijah who was to come. So, um, let's see. We've got about three minutes left. Sub point A. The Lord asks the crowd three questions concerning John. The reed shaken by the wind, the one in soft clothing, and then the prophet. Those were his three questions. The answers were no, no, and Yes. The Lord asked the crowds three questions concerning John, in parallel with the three questions that the Pharisees messengers had when they interrogated John. The Lord asked the crowds three questions concerning John in parallel with three questions that the Pharisee messengers had when they interrogated John. So here's your three questions. What did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. So that's an obvious answer no. The reed shaken by the wind is an obvious answer no. In other words is is he just uh is he just um Uh, making a lot of noise right now because there's a lot of chaos around he's taking advantage of it you know there's always those that will jump into a uh, uncertain time and and start to write a book or get uh, make a name for himself or start to stir things up just because there's turmoil around you bet jump on into it is that what john was doing is that what you went out to see a passing fad or a man dressed in soft clothing, those who wear soft clothing in king's palaces. You know, are we ready to enter into the kingdom today? There's work to be done. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I'll tell you. one who is more than a prophet. So, he's got three questions. And he's turning it back to these crowds. For them to make an answer. They have to come to that decision. What think you of John the Baptist? Like today, we have to make them say, what think you of Christ. Say, who was Jesus Christ? Say, well, he was a good man. Stop. Is that all he was? People will tell you that. Okay? Well, then stop right there. Because that's not the gospel. That's not Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave his life as a ransom. If he's just a good man, a moral teacher, okay, all these other things, a religious leader or whatnot, a philosopher, a philosopher, Stop right there. Who's Christ? Christ was asking them, who's John? Who do you think John was? What think you of John? And depending on how his audience answers that, he's going to know how to approach them for either gospel information or uh, biblical teaching, edification information. Who did you go out to see? Who is John? What was he doing? What was his message? Now, if we glance over to John chapter 1, we'll see that they had grilled him. They had three questions of their own. John 1, 19-25. The Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. For we understand that the prophet is the Christ, and we we have that. They didn't know that at the time either, by the way. That coming prophet could have been somebody other than the Christ. Then they said to him, Who are you? So we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. He said, Go read Isaiah 40 in verse 1. I'm I'm in there. (laughs) All right? 700 years ago, Isaiah wrote about me, and it's in your book. See? Go look it up. Now, though they had three questions about him. Do you think they learned from the answer he gave them? Did they go back to Isaiah? Did they learn the doctrine? Did they apply it? Did they identify him as the herald, the forerunner? In which case, do they listen to when he says, here's the Christ? Okay, so it's clear that they had three questions. He gave them an answer, and they've been ignoring it. So now Jesus is asking them questions. Who is John? What did you go out to see? It's a follow-up to the questions they asked and the answer John already gave them. They should know who John was. They should know why they went out to see him. They should know what the content of his message was, but they don't. Finally, under point B, I'll close with this. The Lord asks, Who do the people think John is? in parallel with a question he will soon put to his disciples, who do you think that I am? The Lord asks, who do the people think John is? In parallel with a question he will soon put to his disciples, who do you think that I am? Matthew 16, 13-20. If they were able to answer the first one right, this one gets easy. (laughs) <laughs> if they know who John was, and they listen to what John said, then they'll know who Jesus is. Because John said that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said that He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said that He's the one, I'm not fit to untie the thong of His sandal. He says He's the one that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John had a lot of things to say about Jesus Christ. And if they were able to answer the question, who is John the forerunner, the herald, the prophet of the coming one, then they'd be able to answer the question, who is Jesus? The Christ, the Son of the living God, the coming one. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in Matthew 16, in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, who do the people say that the Son of And look how confused they all are. And they said, well, there's a big fight going on right now. Huge debate. No one really knows. They said, some say, you're John the Baptist. (laughs) Well, that's confusing. Others say, you're Elijah. Others say, you're Jeremiah or you're one of the prophets. Notice, there was no group fighting for him as being the Christ. Other than right here, right now, Peter and these very ones he's talking to. And so he says to them, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is Peter's shining moment in the Gospels. All right. Typically, Peter tends to put his foot in his mouth. He's kind of a a knucklehead. But here he gets it right. Here he gets it right. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Anyway. These questions are vital. The questions the Pharisees had that John answered in John 1, the questions that Jesus asked about John in Matthew 11, the the questions that Jesus asked about himself in Matthew 16, these questions are critical because they come to the core of the gospel. Who is Jesus and what's he doing? Because if you can't answer who he is, how do you know what he's doing? All right, we will return to this study. One week from now, Lord willing, rapture pending. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the blessing we have to have a perspective in the church, to have mystery of doctrine revealed, to have a New Testament, to be able to look back at First Advent and be able to look forward to Second Advent. And we do let our minds dwell on these things, Father. We anticipate the coming one. We expect him. We're thinking about him daily. We're occupied with him. And we pray that it might even be today. Even so, come Lord Jesus, we thank You in Christ's name. Amen.